This is episode one. If superheroes had nail writers, it's the three mentalists walked into a podcast. Hi there, it's Kennedy, and welcome to the very first episode of the Three Mentalist Podcast. I'm joined by two other blokes. One of them, well, I don't know his name, so we're going to try and work out, we're going to try and figure out your name, all right? Okay. So I would like you to please imagine all the letters in your name, and uh, just focus, oh, was that a, was that an A you were just thinking of? It was indeed, yes. An A, yes, yes. And was that a a T? There was, yeah. I think it was a T. That's an L. Yeah. And an S. Yeah. Yeah. Is it Harvey? <laughs> it's Atlas Brookie! Yes! And, and I'll, I'll handle the introduction to this other guy. I mean, genuinely, he needs he needs no introduction. Um, what's your name? Looch. Looch. Absolutely simple, direct, no shenanigans, no no messing around, getting the name out of him. Simple and direct. You, you messed up the simple and direct joke off through that. That was quite. Anyway, welcome to the show. Let's get on with it. So the big question is, why are we doing the Three Mentalist podcast? Well, I've got my own reasons, Ken's got his reasons, and so has Atlas. So why don't we just jump in and let's find out straight away. Atlas, why are you doing this podcast? My reason, Luch, is that there are so many competing voices in mentalism today. Some of them are sound, some of them aren't. And I feel like if you really are interested in mentalism as a performance art form or as a career path, that you deserve in today's day and age voices from people that actually can share meaningful insights as opposed to people that are out there and release a book willy-nilly with ideas that just don't fly. I think there's too many of those. If you look, if you're serious about mentalism, I think this is something that could potentially benefit you. You see, for me, I'm coming from a place of fear and concern because I look at a lot of the stuff that's coming out, and people seem to be—it's very easy. I mean, we know we've all released eBooks of some description uh, to the community, and we know how easy that can be to put together a routine and put it out into an eBook. And a lot of people, unfortunately, are seeing that as an easy way of coming into our industry and just taking from it. They can say, "Oh, I can charge high prices and all these things, and just take and take and take from the business." And the problem with doing that is a lot. Of these ideas are sort of half-baked and it means people today who are coming into the business or are maybe thinking oh is this where the future of the business or the industry is headed are going to are going to be sort of led astray and then if you try and take a lot of those ideas that are coming out from a few of the people right now you try and go and perform on stage or do a close-up gig like you luch and then you you'll get laughed you, out you're going to get laughed at they're going to people they're going to be looking you're going to look stupid and it's not it's bad for you but it's also it's bad for all of mentalism because if someone's first impression of a mentalist is that you go on there and you do this really transparent stuff or, or really convoluted stuff that's not interesting it's not pacey enough or it's not even fooling then we're all in a, in a very dangerous place that this industry becomes a laughing stock without a doubt I mean people are using mentalism as their own little personal playground or piggy they, bank exactly yeah. piggy oh, yeah. bank yeah they want to make a name for themselves and they don't care about anything else. They know that they can literally just rip people off with ideas that don't fly, they've never been tried in the real world, and it's not on. So I know from a point of view that there's no governing body that overrules and checks on the authenticity of things that comes out. So it's nice to be able to have a voice within the community to be able to check things and discuss things uh, from our own point of view. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's essentially just a source from people that are actually doing it. If, you, if you're ever confused as to, uh, is this a good idea, is this a bad idea, will this work? Tune in, listen, you, you won't get any BS. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing is, just speaking to what you were saying, Kennedy, uh, Luch and I, just earlier this week, were looking over a document that got sent to us, uh, and I won't describe the routine, and I yeah. won't say who it was, but it was 
it was really weak. It was incredibly transparent. Um, and we, we sent this guy a message saying, hey, have you actually performed this? Because looking at it, there's so many issues already from someone who actually performs and goes through um, and looks at what needs to be done. This guy clearly hadn't performed it. Um, and the message we got back was alarming, which is, ha no, I haven't. And that's terrifying because sometimes you can't sit there in theory and think, this is theoretically a great idea. But if you don't know about performing conditions, you don't know actually, the audiences out there are pretty bloody intelligent. Yeah. They are trying to look at what's the logic. If I was to try and achieve the same things that those guys are doing on stage, how would I do that? And if that is the, the way they would achieve it, it would be the same way you've achieved it. Then there's no mystery anymore. And this one thing that we all say, you know, people get into mentalism because they say it's the one form of magic that they think perhaps could be real. Well, if it's simply transparent, then it's not real anymore. And we lose the only existing real form of magic. And that's terrifying. Now, having said that, Everything that we talked about, it's clear that we're very passionate about mentalism. Yes. But at the same time, our opinions aren't the final word on anything. Definitely it's not. It's just opinions. We're just sharing ideas and we're just trying to bring a podcast and information that is genuine and heartfelt because we care about the community. Yeah, and it, it's interesting you said that because I was about to say, we're not saying we're any better than anyone else. <laughs> no, uh, no, not But at all. we are at least doing this and so hopefully you'll get some insights that you can use to temper some of the other ideas. Yeah, that all, we're, all we're inviting you to do is come hang out with us once a month and listen to our crazy ideas. We'll play some stupid games. And it, literally, this will be probably the most serious part of any of the future podcasts. And we're just telling you about what it is we're hoping to share and what our intention is with this podcast. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk about products and books and just mess around. And you're invited to come and join us. The way, uh, the way you do that is you can tune in, obviously, through iTunes. Or you can join us at the, th- at the Three Mentalist podcast website, which is threementalist.com. Anything else we need to say? And I think we can get into our... On our first feature. Move straight on. All right, that's enough of the serious faces. Let's start the very first Three Mentalist podcast. Mentalism Taboo. Okay, welcome to Mentalism Taboo. This is the game. I have a set of flashcards that I've made up. I'm going to show them to Atlas, and Atlas has to describe the thing I've written on the flashcard to Looch, and Looch has to get it. All the things that are written on the flashcards are mentalism-related. They could be mentalism techniques, releases, people. They could be anything to do with mentalism at all. The only rule is that you cannot mention the creator or the name of the product that is written on the flashcard. Atlas, are you ready to describe? I am. Luke, are you ready to guess? I am. So this is, the way, this is the way it's going to work. You've got 60 seconds to guess as many of the 10 cards as possible, which means you've got a maximum of 10 points. Your first card and the timer. Start the timer now. Okay. Uh, children have these things with letters of the alphabet on them. Flashcards. Uh, except they're made of wood. Uh, like building blocks. And oh, Luke, uh, Luke Jermaine, building blocks. Brilliant. Well done. That was Luke Jermaine, building blocks. Uh, Sam Delal has a great one of these. Swami Raya. Great. Uh, okay, how do I do this one? Um, damn. <laughs> <laughs> if you jump out of an airplane, you'll want to have one of these. A parachute. Now. Para. Yep. Lies. Yep. Josh Quinn. Yep, well done. Paralyzed Josh Quinn. Fantastic book, yep. Uh, this is... The Sty Stebbins is a type of... Uh, stack. Yep. Absolutely stack deck, yep. This is a classic... Um, we were discussing on the way down here. Uh, a number lower than two. One. Yep. And then what do you have on your shoulders? 
Time's up, John. Uh, the yeah. answer was one ahead. So we've got uh, one uh, ahead. You've got how many? Four. Four. It's pretty tough. Yeah. I'll keep these these till next episode. So, yeah, okay. so now was, it's the time to flip the tables. Atlas will fl- show me the flashcards. No. Atlas, who are you going why don't, to... Why don't we do another bit first, and then uh, we'll come back to this. Oh. So, so far, Lucha's score is four. Okay. The three mentalists would like to thank the design work of Sushi Design, and in particular, its owner, Phil Smith. Thank you, Phil. We love you. Probably a little bit inappropriately. Tales from the Trenches. So, Luch, what have you been up to this month? Oh, God, it's been a relatively busy, quite a steady month. Uh, a few weddings and a nice corporate um, for Sheffield United, actually, for the football club. Oh. Um, from Sheffield originally, so it was quite a, a nice thing to get to um, to perform for my sort of hometown team. Um, interesting enough, I contacted one of the um, the chairman on Twitter, of all places. Okay. Literally, he's very uh, open to, to people sort of getting in touch with him. And I just contacted him and said, you know, I always wanted to represent the, uh, the t- sort of team when I was a kid. I wasn't very good at football, but now I'd like to represent him with what I do. I'm a, a mind reader and entertainer. Uh, and this was about eight months ago. Uh, it led to a few meetings and, and what have you. And they ended up having a bit of a panel interview with uh, essentially the board of directors uh, at Sheffield United. And I remember walking in and thinking, crikey, it's like going for a job. In the really? Suppose, essentially, it was yeah. surrounded by the directors, all sat around you. So, sorry, were you having like do an interview to get to do the gig? Well, it wasn't just a specific gig. They were looking for an entertainer. Okay. Um, to work at like a regular shows. thing. Yeah, uh, they have quite a lot of corporate shows and different charity events and award dinners throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, so I thought the best thing to do is just to jump straight in. So I just started performing for them. Uh, and within a couple of minutes, they pretty much stopped it and said, you know what, you're, you're hired, uh, oh. let's get you booked in. So I did my first show for them uh, on last Sunday. Mm-hmm. It was the last day of the regular season. Um, and I was invited by the directors to, to watch the match. We had brunch with all the, the other directors and some, some of their footballing uh, heroes of the past. Yeah. And then got to watch the match. My, my dad's a big football yeah. fan, so it was nice for him to come along as well. And then in the evening, I did a show. I had to do... Um, a walk-around section in this chamber room, which was essentially like a champagne reception for some of the um, the players and the, the the coaching staff, did that, and then they all went through into to a large sort of banquet room. They had a meal, uh, and there was a huge stage at the front, about five hundred people in, and I performed uh, a twenty-minute slot there. Wow, it was good fun. Um, there was a few regular faces or a few well-known faces in the audience. I don't know if you watch the ITV's The Chase. Yeah, with uh, is it Bradley Walsh. That's the one, Bradley Walsh. Well, the, one of the uh, chase chasers there, the, the big guys will get all the questions right. Is a guy called the Beast. Uh, yeah, the big, the really tall, big, broad guy. Six foot eight. It was about twenty five stone. It was huge. Yeah, uh, and he was in the audience. He's a he's a Sheffield United fan or a blade, as we call them. So uh, I remember coming out on stage thinking, oh, I'm gonna, I've, I've got to make a, a connection with five hundred people. What I've been drinking most of the night. Yeah. And I've got to do it quick. Yeah. So I thought the best way to do that is to sort of set myself up in a challenge against the beast. Wow. Um, so we brought him up. I had a stage table set up with a GoPro camera um, facing the table, which beamed a live feed to the screen uh, behind, which was like a 10-foot screen. Wow. Uh, and I essentially did my real die uh, opener, which will be in uh, the Black Project. Yeah, a little plug for it there, but that'll be in there. Uh, went through that, that was good. I got some nice um, footage and reactions from, from Mark LeBet there, who was the beast. 
uh, and ended with, it was quite unexpected really, we had a guy called Gary Sinclair, who is essentially the, the compare or the, the voice of Sheffield United. So on match days, he's the guy who talks on the microphone in the stadium, yeah. makes all the announcers. Everyone knows him, they know his voice. Uh, brought him up, asked him to think of a, a good friend from school, someone he hasn't thought about for a while, and then proceeded to reveal it. Uh, the interesting thing was he thought of someone who passed away. So mm-hmm. I didn't really expect that. So I learned quite an interesting thing from that. I had, to, I had to turn it around on the fly because something that suddenly become quite serious and potentially could have gone downhill. Yeah. Um, we, we turned it around in a way that I didn't quite expect. And that was, um, I wrote down the name, um, asked him to, to, to confirm that name in the microphone beforehand. And then I, I showed him the pad, just him. He saw the name and then burst out crying. Which well, was, on stage, I wanted to find Yeah, him. and it was like, oh dear, how, how do you yeah. how do you rein in and, and maintain the control of that? <clears throat> so I, I mean, instantly just put my arm around him, to which he put his arm around me as well, and he almost sank down to his knees a little bit. Mm-hmm. I had to sort of hold him up, and he was crying. Uh, and he, he, the microphone that I had on picked it up, what he said, he turned around and said, um, you know, it's, it's one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. And at that point, it piqued the audience's interest to the point they want to see what's written on that pad. Yeah. Uh, flipped the pad around, saw the name, and they just spontaneously burst into applause I think more because they really looked up to the guy and mm. they realised that it hit him on such an emotional level um, and then it all kind of worked out for the best in the end we'd all got the result that we wanted uh, and ended the show really really nicely so yeah a bit of a heart in mouth moment but yeah. uh, one that I certainly uh, enjoyed that's amazing See, I, I, I wanted you to tell that story because of what you'd said uh, to me afterwards what, what, did, what did he do with the sheet of paper uh, he sent me uh, essentially a message because obviously for the method I'm, I'm I'm finding out the name via an impression device. So he'd, he'd written down the name, he'd scrunched it up into a little ball and he was holding it in his hand throughout the, the presentation. And um, the message that he, he wrote to me afterwards saying um, it was truly amazing uh, and that piece of paper I've kept and put in my memory box, which I'll keep forever. Wow. So, you know, it's, that's... that's that really that, is the strength of that. Proper, really good, strong... Mentalism, isn't it? And that's, that's what the potential we've got. No, without a doubt. I mean, he will now remember that forever. And any time he sees that piece of paper again, or if anyone asks what it is, mm-hmm. he'll be able to, to, to retell the story of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, harking back to what we said at the start of this mm-hmm. particular programme, um, I think that that's, that's powerful. I think realising what mentalism can do as opposed to what it so often does do or mm. some of the releases that you see now, what they do is... They're not. They're not that impactful. That's a huge not void. That powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There is a huge void, and I think what's really incredible is you can take those moments, and, and, and we can, we've got to remember it. That people do remember what we do for the, for a very long time. They do, as long as they. It's it's it's, it's a strong piece. Now I've got a question for you, Luke. Is would you consider flipping the presentation now to have somebody thinking of somebody who'd passed away in order to get that reaction every time, or is that not your style? Has I, so what I'm, I suppose wondering is <clears throat> learning from that experience because you know you do a gig you walk away and from each gig I, I probably take you know a little a, a lesson what have you learned from doing that is there any changes you'll make to your routine well I mean we got the desired outcome in the end it was a nice strong moment it came full circle the, the problem is from an ethical point of view you, you're purposely taking through someone through a range of emotions yes 
So do you purposely do that, knowing that you could potentially upset someone from an ethical point of view? Is it any much different to doing what mediums do, maybe? Yeah. Or knowing that you're going to turn it into a positive and get a a nice spin out of it that way. It's something that you could potentially think about um, and something that I might think about. Yeah, I think if you did that, you you have to be really tight on your audience management. Yeah. Um, Because when strong emotions come into play, you don't necessarily retain all the control that you would like to have as the as the performer out there. Yeah, and that's why I, I really shied away from doing any... I don't do much stuff with personal information revelations. I mainly do influencing things and things like that because I've got to say, I'm, I'm a bit of a chicken when it comes to... I'm not ready to deal with the, the array of emotions aspect, yeah. because they could get violent and they could cry. And it's not just the person on stage. Yes, that is one thing. But the bigger picture is... What about the rest of the room? You've got the, the audience. Do you lose them at that point? And also, the booker. You know, have you know? I know for my stuff because I'm very much lighthearted and sort of in your face and in comedy type stuff, but very lighthearted and very fast. If somebody has hired me to be entertaining and suddenly I've got people crying, yeah, I'd be afraid in case that wasn't my <coughs> remit. Obviously, it worked perfectly for you and that for that specific that setting, one worked. Yeah. But was it look? Was it management? Was it the character? Was it? Well, I, I remember a few years ago at a, a wedding fair doing some promotion work. Um, the another supplier who was across from me was watching what I was doing throughout the day, and then she came over at the end and she said, "Can I have a go at this?" Um, to which I, I just did my normal routine, uh, and she. She was thinking of a baby that she had that passed away um, mm. when it was, you know, during birth. Yeah. And she just wanted some closure in it. And she, again, she was very teary, very emotional when I revealed the name. Me not really thinking that there was any emotional content with it. She just wanted to have a go at this little name-guessing game that game. we'd been playing throughout the day. Yeah. But then came up to me and said, you know, it was a, a baby that I lost during childbirth. And it, it, meant, it means a hell of a lot to me that you, you'd be able to do that. And it gave her a little bit of... Um, closure, let's say, even though I wasn't offering it. Yes. I was just hiring my services as, a, as an entertainer. And, and although I didn't specifically say that it's not psychic, it certainly alluded to that with the presentation uh, and the scripting that I have thrown in there. So, you know, we have, we have the potential to um, create quite a large impact on people without even realising what we're doing until afterwards. So, mm-hmm. of course, we have to be um, very careful. Is it Peter Barker that says, with great, um, great skill comes great... The flip side of that, again, going back to the, the whole point of this podcast really, is we can be really amazingly <laughs> memorable. When you were talking about the contract that we have with the audience, this could be real. Absolutely. Um, but again, if we're, if we're not doing really strong, good material, yeah. if, we, if we are not sure of ourselves and if we haven't given ourselves the capacity to go out and, and rely on a lot of experience, then uh, some of these situations can go desperately critically wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that... I remember when I first got psychological subtleties from Banachek, I thought that was the methods that people were using for entire shows. I didn't realise at the time that actually, no, they were doing solid method, methods and using those things to pepper things and just support things. So if they hit, it's fine. But you can't do a whole act of that stuff. And I yeah. know Banachek... And I've told you about this before, and he, you know, he, he's coming from that same place. So, yeah, I think that's one of the things you were using an absolutely solid method there. But presentationally, there are many things I'm sure you threw in there, yeah. which will hit, will not hit, or whatever it's going to be. And you know, we do that. It's interesting too. And when, when you said, uh, first of all, even booking this this um, this role, this position, 
You said, first thing, I said, best thing to do is go right in there. And then you later said, uh, I had an audience of 500 drunk people. What yep. do I do? Mm-hmm. And I think this is something that gets so lost for a lot of thinkers or a lot of people that perform is each time you judged who your audience was and you did material appropriate to that scenario and situation. Um, recently, I talked to someone who was doing a gig in a pub. Yeah. And he wanted to start with a um, with a psych force. Great idea. No, I mean, yeah. Um, and, and it's not that he was, uh, you know, that, that he was a bad performer or anything like that. It's just you you have to you have to gauge your audience and think right. How long am I going to have them for? I have to hit them right. For, for instance, and how, I told long, them this, how, and how long have I got in order to get them? Like, if you've got a longer show, yeah. you can take your time and build on that rapport and get a really deep rapport. If they're, if they're there to see you. Yeah. If you were in a pub no or way. in a coffee shop or something like that and you've just got three minutes where they're going to be quiet yeah. out of politeness yes. and then after that you've lost them, yeah. it, it's a massive difference. Uh, and, and I think that that's, again, something that you really think about when you're performing is what is my appropriate opener for this particular for this, audience. Yeah, for this group. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that story, Luke. It's no, really, no, really, no, I, I, you know, I think we can learn a lot from that and, and you know, and, and take away the power that we really have got and the power we can give and, the, and the, the, how powerful a presentation can be. Mystery of the month. Great. Now we're to the segment of the podcast where we answer the question that's plagued you since the dawn of time. There are certain mysteries that have baffled mankind since before civilization began. This is absolutely one of them. We're going to solve it today. Ladies and gentlemen, who is Neil Scryer? Well, in this section, what we're going to do is we're going to try to work out who on earth is Neil Scryer. So uh, who's your betting for? I mean, he's an international man of mystery. International man of mystery. There's, There's no question about that. The only person I've ever seen billed as an international man of mystery is Austin Powers. Now, Austin. don't dismiss this too quickly. I believe, I, yeah, I believe that Neil and Austin could be one and the same. Now, obviously, Austin Powers is actually Mike Myers. Yeah. But Mike Myers knows Woody Harrelson, okay. who, yeah. on the David Letterman show, did a Hoy book test. So, ah. where do you think... Where do you think Woody learned it? I'm ah, betting... I think it was Neil... It could be Neil Squire. Yeah, Mike Myers, a.k.a. Mike Myers. Really? Yeah, why not? Mm, yeah, it could be. It could be. It could be. No. What? No, no you don't no. think? I don't think... I don't think, it could, I think... I think it could be somebody... I think uh, I think Neil Squire could actually be... That's uh, what, what I think. No. I think it could be. I think you could... Now, hang on, let's hear him out. I'm, I'm interested to see where he's going on this. Comes across as such like a, you know a nice genuine guy, and then but then to have this all this sort of dark and scary side, you can imagine him. You can imagine him doing clipline, couldn't you? Like okay. with some kind of weird cutting from the Bible or something. I think it could be often. Do you really? I think that's a weak argument. I don't. I don't think it is. Yeah, I. I think it's not strong enough. I, I can't give you uh, as Neil Scry. You're gonna have to come up with an alternate. Okay. I have a suspicion. Who is that? Okay, so Neil Scry, you don't see him out in public very much. Okay. Right, and. He doesn't like to travel. He doesn't like to sort of doing public appearances everywhere. Mm. And I think he's scared of flying. Now, if you look back to the 80s, there's one person who was scared <gasps> of flying. I think it's B.A. Baracus. Baracus. I think it's Mr. T. I think it is Mr. T. Yeah. This makes a lot of sense. And because of, because of the general... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Are you going to laugh at your own joke before you do it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't was, laugh at your gonna, own joke before you do it. I was going to say, I just think there might... Be <laughs> 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 
he friends with Mr. Uh, with Richard Webster, Mr. T? Mr. T on Facebook. You're friends with Mr. T, aren't you? Mr. T on Facebook, yes. Yeah. Is he friends with Richard Webster? No, I don't think he is. Wait, are you friends with Mr. T on it's Facebook? It's not him. It's not. It's not him. No. About this. Yeah, I don't know. But have we checked to see if Michael Myers is? Because I've thought of another. Link. Michael Myers. Yeah, now that's a different thing. Yeah, well, Mike, because, Myers yeah Mike Myers and Michael Myers, that Halloweeny scary yes, thing yeah. that you were talking oh, about. And it's yeah, all the time. Yeah. Hang on. Mike Murray. Well, we'll ask him. Mike, Michael Murray, what do you think? Who do you think is is, is Neil Squire? Yeah, I pay you for you doing nothing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm thinking Mike might be right. Do you think it is? Even, yeah, with that, even with that hair. Well, let's eliminate people we definitely know. It's not. Um, I don't think. It, I don't think it's Neil Armstrong. You know, the guy who walked on the moon. And Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, I don't think it's either of them two. It, it, it could be Pinocchio, though. It could. He's a real boy. He's he a real boy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And when the readings go well, his nose gets bigger. That's true. <laughs> I'm a real boy. Fight your corner. So now we're on to my favourite part of the podcast, which is called Fight Your Corner. And essentially, each of us will have brought along a different product, uh, and we're going to fight our corner and say why we think it is better than the other two people's products that they brought along. Now, obviously, the other two are allowed to uh, lay into it and talk about the negatives, and you've got to fight your corner and talk about the positives, and we're going to decide as a group afterwards who we think's won the round of fight your corner and we'll do this every single week yeah well every single month every, every single, single month you can do it on your own if you're I'm, I'm, I'm going to do, do, do it at home you're going to go schizophrenic and yeah. just argue with yourself yep it's probably the only time anyone will listen to you to be honest Ken <laughs> so anyways we're going to move on because Ken's talking rubbish and we're going to start with Atlas who has a uh, a very specific product this time and he's going to try and fight his corner with with Seamus Maguire's take note take this, note this yeah. is actually something I really love I showed it to you earlier mm-hmm. um, it's it's an ungimmicked pen, an ungimmicked uh, pad of post-it notes, okay. and you can use it for drawing duplications, you can use it for name guesses, you can use it for lots of different things. The thing I really like about this is, A, it's tiny, it's pocket size. everything sort of fits on you, it doesn't look like you're carrying particularly uh, props around with you, and there's the versatility of lots of other things that you can do with post-it notes. Anyone who's watched Looch uh, do his Penguin Live lecture knows he tips something fantastic with post-it notes, and I've used that mm-hmm. in, uh, in mm-hmm. close-up shows as well. Uh, I, but I've used this on stage. I, I did this. Um, I did Just take, take note. Thing you yeah, I, I used it on stage, and it went over a storm. It is. It is genuinely an amazing, very simple peak or, mm-hmm. or imp device. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you want to uh, uh, to use it. it it's, it's, it's got quite a unique method. It's, it's, it's not really a peak imp device. It's kind, yeah, of, it's it's kind it, of a weird it, hybrid. It's yeah. very unique, isn't it? That's like a, it is something where. I just feel like it's super versatile, and because of that, uh, and just because of the fact that I could even use the post-it notes as billets, there's so much, so much that you can pack into this tiny little thing. What, I mean, what do you think? Well, I mean, I've seen it. Mm. The, 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 one of the problems, especially for the, for the readers, they might not have, uh, for the listeners, might not have seen this yet, mm-hmm. because it's something that's yet to be released. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's true. Uh, and I believe Penguin Magic are going to be releasing this in the next few months. Yep. Um, and I will back Atlas in saying that it's fantastic in that it's it's truly impromptu if you're carrying the, the thing. However, the, the, for me, the size of the post-it notes are a little bit of a problematic. Um, the, the ones that they recommended are the, the square size, which when you buy them, they tend to come in like rather a large block. 
So oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. almost like carrying a mini Rubik's Cube around with you in terms of the size. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it doesn't cause problems for a lot of people, but it might do for others. I mean, why would you carry around a block of Post-its as opposed to when you can get a normal size pad of Post-its which would fit in your pocket? And yeah, nice for me, Atlas, the other thing, I, 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 see, I see exactly what you're saying, Legion, but for me, the other thing I, I'm not really sure about with it is... Is is that is that mo- there is a moment of compromise? Without talking about what's being created here, there's a moment of sort of awkwardness in 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 the in the method. In well, I don't know that it's awkward. In presentation, you can cover it, but there is like everything. There's a small compromise. I think it's so minute, and I, and I get away with it with my personality, no sweat. But I I do know what you're what you're referring to. Um, but again, it's it's very small, and it it is covered very very well. Uh, almost erased in memory after the fact. Okay, okay. All right, so you've got... And what's that called again, the full title? That is Seamus Maguire's Take Note. Take Note. Take All right. Note. Okay. I've got mine. I, I'm, I'm going to show you mine. This is... Uh, rubbish. Like, rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, lo- I love this. Uh, it's Jamay's Mind, but from Luke Jamay. It's brand new DVD. It's like a billion and a half DVDs. It's it's a massive product, and it's got phenomenal production value. Uh, it's been recorded in this beautiful sort of country manor-looking building, and Luke goes through some just really practical, workable stuff from name revelations with all the subtleties that really make this amazing. I mean, he he reveals things and he teaches you how to reveal things about people that you just could not possibly know. Yeah, they might be thinking of the name of their best friend, but also you can tell them their star sign and maybe their father's name and all this other information. And and it's absolutely incredible. He does a great it, it does he does a great uh, sort of tossed out deck type routine. It's just got some absolutely brilliant ideas on there. Fantastically performed because he's a worker. You know he's really out there performing it. And then the explanations are so detailed, talking about every moment, every subtlety, and of course Luke's extremely charming as well. So that yeah. helps. There's, there's, I mean, there's no doubt and there's no denying that he's a fantastic performer. Yeah. I know when you when you watch the DVDs, a lot of the material, the way he performs it is very convincing. You would have uh, no qualms. In, in in believing that what he's doing is real. Yes, he's he's polished, slick, credible. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what makes it so such a good product. Yeah, the the downside to that would be that if you have modern mentalism, um, which is which is one of his books, uh, if you'd seen his lecture at Mines, or if you have seen his Penguin lecture, you probably won't feel like you get as much value for money out of this particular DVD set. Uh, having said that. There is a tremendous amount of... I mean, Luke, Luke is he's ingenious. He mm-hmm. is probably the best performer I've seen on stage. Uh, the way he thinks, the way he structures things. Luke is amazing. I can't recommend mm-hmm. this enough. Yeah. But again, I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to make you fight your corner. Uh, so I would say the negatives are, look, it's already in some of his other books. Um, I know for, for a fact he's got... Uh, his tossed out deck is in, a, in another book. Uh, you've also got it in Modern Mentalism, and not the tossed out deck, but a lot of the material that you'll find on these DVDs. And again, if you've if you've been privileged enough to watch him lecture live, you'll have seen a lot of these ideas. Okay, doesn't change that it's like. And every time I watch him do stuff, you pick up something else that you might not have noticed before. Uh, but to make you fight your corner, value for money, I'm going to say it's in other material, and you can you can get it elsewhere. Are you going to fight me here, Luke? 
Luch. Luke and Luke are the same content. I don't think Luke could fight you, though. No, I think he probably, probably agree. I think he probably thinks it's all brilliant. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I agree with Atlas. He, he's a very polished performer. He's very good. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there that's very, very samey, you know, yeah, similar methods for multiple effects throughout there. Okay. Um, not very difficult to find that material in, in other releases, which if you have quite a lot of his body of work, you're pretty much going to be familiar with 90% of the stuff on there. Um, but yeah, uh, overall, very good DVD. You've uh, enjoyed it, and um, can't really fight you that much for it, to be honest. It's, it's good. I think I'm winning. You might I well think be. I might be winning. Okay, Luke. Luch, why? What's going on? I think you have a fetish for Luke. I think I do. Luke, who, though? Which do you like, one? well, Luca Volpe? Maybe Luca. Uh, Luke Jamey? Could be. Luke Dancy? I don't know who that is. Uh, he's someone on the cafe, I believe. Okay. Luke. What have you brought with us? Uh, I brought uh, Pro Mystics Multidimensional. <laughs> What's that? Oh, well, it's... Uh, you mean, are you just saying that? <laughs> yes, Surely you know I mean, what it who is. Who the hell doesn't have... Whoops, we've made a mistake, and we actually talked a bit too much about the method. So, we apologize. Here's some happy music to listen to while we edit this clip. about it I mean isn't it just like <coughs> I've got one in six chance of guessing this thing oh it's the blue one hooray yeah true when you look at it from that sort of very basic point of view yeah, yeah. it is it's essentially a one in six but then with multiple repeats then it becomes a one in six times one in six and very quickly you can become in, uh, in impossible odds and the beauty of it is that if you're going to mix it up with some classic methods that you might use in your, uh, your set this is a completely hands off device you can be stood in another room Mm-hmm. And you can still be able to do this. I really like it when people say that in their ad comic. You could be in another room. Yeah. How would you leave the room? Well, you might, if, for example, if you were yeah. performing. I would never leave the room. And my audience will leave the room if I leave the room. I've got to keep them there. If you're on stage, mm. but if you're performing at a dinner party and you have a, a, a load of skeptical people that might be like, ah, you know what he's seeing or someone's telling him, okay, so you can turn your back, you can be blindfolded, you can step into the other room while they make a decision. Have you ever done still that? Know? What, step out of the room? Yeah. yeah. Really? I've, done that. I've done that with other devices as yeah, well, yeah. Um, yeah. just to prove a point as mm-hmm. well. But I don't make that part of the the regular it's presentation. Part of the yeah, yeah. It's okay. something when you're pushed into it, you can create an impossible um, performance conditions. Okay, right. So find my corner side. I don't particularly like this. I like some of the Craig, you know, uh, Promistic and Craig's other stuff. I don't particularly like this. I think to me, it just screams gimmicked prop I think everything about it is suspicious and, and I think to some extent that's why other things he's come out with look so much better so much cleaner uh, again it's it's sort of out of place to me almost like the uh, Zodiac dice that was yeah. done it's not something I've ever run across before in my life I, I don't again I feel like if you can't passionately defend the idea of something why bother and that Zodiac dice, to me, is, is a great example for of this. Me, it's I think kind for of, MD, it's the same thing. I think for me, it's like, if I'm going to have some... Say it's the colour one, right? Mm. I'm going to have somebody think of a colour. Well, I think there's more interesting things to have people think about than a colour. Isn't it just framing, though? I mean, could that colour be associated with a memory? Or it could be associated okay. with something that you like? But then couldn't you have then, them then then write, write memory. down the memory? Yeah. So then, but you can do I, for a long time, I used to do a, the colour routine, and it was based around things that they like and memories that they like. So, when I, for example, you get a yellow, 
then you might you might be able to sort of pump along being outside get a nice warm day uh, being at a beach that kind of thing so I think you can do that with framing mm-hmm. now I know what you're saying about the, the prop might look a little bit gimmicky mm-hmm. certainly if you put it into something like uh, the dice cube why would you use something that looked like a dice as opposed to a a, um, a real a real dice, dice. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly and I think Craig's uh, he's, he's overcome that with, with certain developments uh, in, in his work and, and his product range um, but I think something like the colour cube can certainly look like something that you would get from a board game. And I know when I used this, I used to make reference to something called the Game of Games. And I would say, did you ever used to play the Game of Games when you were a kid? Essentially, it was a board game made up of miniature games. And this is the colour cube, what you use in it to make decisions based on the game. Uh, And people, even though they've played that game, that cube was not in there, but they went, oh, could I remember that game? So straight away, it gives it context. Even Again, we're not challenging a presentation, we're challenging the actual thing. And this is what bothers me with a lot of... Like, I'm challenging comments. everything about Luke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his presentation, his face, everything. But this is, this Sexuality. is one of the things that bothers yeah. me about a lot of the electronic things. Is What it's taken is, is you, you've come up with some good ideas and you've defended it presentationally, but it took two other guys asking a lot of questions to be able to work a, a, an idea for a performance. And I think with a lot of the electronic stuff that gets made, they think, oh, it can do this. And the routines will come. I think that that is a backwards. It's the wrong way, way around. Yeah, I, I think that's a backwards. That's the way only reason I don't really use much electronics in my show at all. I've used an impression device for some routines I do, but apart from that, I've never used electronics. It's not because I think that all electronic things are bad. It's just I never come up with a routine where I go, and the only way I can achieve that is if is, I put a gadget yeah. or a gizmo inside yeah. of it. Did you with, with multi-dimensional? Is that what it's called? Multi-dimensional. Uh, yeah. If, if, with that, did you get the prop first, then come up with the routine, or were you thinking, I've heard about this prop, I've got this idea for a really good idea for a routine, I need to get the prop. Which way around did it come from? For, for me, I had the routine in mind. Okay. Uh, purely because of a routine that I did uh, in your thoughts of mine called psychology. Yeah. So I always had an interest in the psychology of colour, and when this came about, um, you could have the option of buying the actual with a specific cube. Or you would buy the whole package where you can slip and you can, you can just mix them. I, I purposely just bought the colour one because I knew what I wanted to do with it. That's really interesting. Okay, cool. I think we've heard everyone's arguments. I yeah. think we're there. We need to work out who won. I think it was me. You think it was you, and you think it was you. So uh, right, how right, do we do that? Who do you think? Who do you feel like it was? No, I, I genuinely think. I, I think we have to vote, and we can't vote for ourselves. Okay, fine. Okay, I'm going to vote for. Uh, I'm vote for Ken. Um, what was yours again? Yours Mine was, was the take note. I would rather, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to vote for Luchas over your over that take note thing. I think it's clever, but it's it's one of those things for me. It's more like it's a, it's a clever method that someone's come up with that I think there are easier and probably slicker ways for me to do it for my personality. I would already have business cards on me anyway, which I can use to give away and do things with. I would use a, a peak or something. So I would vote for Luch. So if I vote for you, you win. Yes. If I vote for Atlas, we tie. Yes. Mm. You have all the power. Uh, you have power. all the power. Yeah. The power. You sound like um, you sound like card shark when you do that. No, he's not. Is he? Is, is he German? Yeah. He's, yeah, he's German. I cannot work enough. Card shark. D E. D E. Yes, German. Well, I'm going to make it interesting. I'm going to vote for Atlas, and therefore, just to make it a tie. Oh, it's a tie. So we've got one point each, or no points. No, I think we get a third of a point each. That's not. That's just stupid. Okay, and then and then in the next episode we'll hopefully have a winner. <laughs> so yay! That was pointless, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Words in my mouth. Okay, I'm nervous now, Alice. Uh, why? Well, because I know what's coming up next. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm uh, I'm more nervous of your damning judgment. <laughs> 
because I think you're a very judgy guy lately. Uh, no, what, what happened is when we first kicked around the idea of this podcast, I thought, you know what would be funny is if I took some of the sound bites that Ken has online and if I altered them. Now, my vision for this and my skill level and then again compounded with the ability or inability to find Ken online um, – saying stuff. I mean, you've got tons of background music and whatnot, but just a straight cut of the show was very difficult to find. So I've put together a little uh, a little clip in which uh, I pretend that you are running for political office. And oh am, my goodness. And I'm a Newsnight presenter okay. um, asking you some questions. So okay. again, my ambition far outstrips my ability in this situation, but I, I think, I think there will be a few bits where we sort of laugh. So without any further ado, here we go. <clears throat> I'm so scared. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and That's thank you for joining sad. me here at Atlas News. Tonight, we're joined by budding politician Kennedy. Formerly a mind reader, Kennedy has swapped his normal stage for a world and global stage. He is here to tell us tonight what his views and policies are and why you should vote for him. Kennedy, thanks for joining us. Now, Kennedy, the first thing I, I want to ask you tonight there, <laughs> is, as a politician, is there a question that really drives everything that you do. A question that's uh, on the foremost tip of your mind every day, day in, day out. Uh, and if so, what is that question? Is this somebody who everybody in this room would have heard of and would recognize if they were to see a, a photograph of this person? So it sounds to me as though name recognition is obviously a very, very important thing to you at this moment in time. You want people to know who you are. You would hope so. Now, I've also heard it said, Kennedy, that you want to be known as the Margaret Thatcher of this generation. How exactly are you different from Margaret Thatcher? Far easier. <laughs> sorry, did you just say that you are far easier than Margaret Thatcher? Yes. Right. Well, I, w I was told you're a sort of uh, forthright politician. I didn't expect so much candor. Kennedy, do me a favor. Fill in the gap in this sentence. Fill in the blank here. <laughs> oh, no. I have never blank a book. What would you say? <laughs> Red. <laughs> Interesting, Kennedy. You're the first candidate I've ever run into that's not ashamed about being blatantly illiterate. Kennedy, let me ask you this. Poor people. What is your attitude towards making their lives better? I don't want to rule that out completely. <laughs> so, Kennedy, are you really telling me you don't care about poor people? Yes. <laughs> Incredible. I, I don't believe this. I believe that we are actually finally meeting an honest politician. Kennedy, before the show, you said I could ask you anything. I've heard rumors that Kennedy isn't your real name. What is it? Do you mind telling people? Jane. <laughs> Forgive me, Kennedy. I, I, I must have misheard you. Did you say Jane? Yes. <laughs> so then your ideal date would be... This is probably going to be male. <laughs> so I gather that you're used to waking up in strange beds next to people that you don't know. Yes. <laughs> uh -huh. And what's the first thing you think in those situations? 
Let me find out a little bit more about them, not their name, but though that'll be useful. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's leave this line of questioning behind for the moment, shall we? Let me ask you, what is your characterization of the economy over the last few years? Did bad and then did good. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I can tell that you have the expertise there economically to lead us through the uh, financial challenges we may face in the future. Let me ask you, Kennedy, what would you say to anyone who came up to you uh, the day after polling day, and told you you didn't win the election. That is bullying. <laughs> Frankly, Kennedy, I'm surprised to hear you say this. So you really believe that you can win the election? That's um, that's what I was hoping. And if I got it wrong, I'll just bugger off. I wish more politicians <laughs> could be as straightforward with that sentiment. Kennedy, you certainly won the audience's approval tonight. Give a big round of applause, ladies and Kennedy, best of luck in your career and your campaign. I really appreciate it. I'll have a kiss off you. You most certainly can. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, Kennedy. Oh, man. Thank you, Atlas, for that. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I'm pleased you're so amused. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think with the podcast, hopefully I'll have enough from you two strung together to be able to uh, similarly do something yeah, each, each, each episode. Future, yeah. Well, I don't know about each episode. That took a long time. And was frankly mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> Very mediocre. Thanks. <laughs> a huge thanks to Phil Smith at Sushi Design for all of his designeriness. Mentalism taboo. Okay, so round two. Now, Luch is going to describe the cards that Atlas has designed to me. So I'm going to be guessing. I certainly am. You ready? Yep. Okay. Stop the timer. Okay. Um, oh, the name of my upcoming uh, book, The Black Project. Nice one. Bit of promotion in there. Hey, yeah, yeah. you fucking bastard. Uh, Michael Murray. Hey, there we go. Um, <laughs> Helps co-write a lot of Darren Brown's earlier shows. Really clever magician. Um, Luke Chimay, um Keep going. Uh, uh, Mark Elston. The live stuff. Uh, d- uh, uh, right. Um, uh, Jewish guy. Uh, uh, Andy Nyman. There you go. Um, uh, the um, Sherlock Holmes fan. Um, oh, ben Cardell. That's the one. Um, uh, does a lot. He likes peeking. Peeking? And not the duck variety. Um, He's got a big uh, beard. He's a big guy. Is, is it Richard Bush? There you go. Oh, Bushy. Um, I, I don't know what this is. Oh, yeah, um, he has his own uh, website where he reviews lots of mentalism products. J.F. That's it. And we have um, also known as uh, somebody Jermaine. Oh, oh, I know what the answer was. I can't have the point. No, but I'll have, I'll have John Riggs. John Riggs. Answer. How, many, how did I do? I mean, we can't have you John got, Riggs. I can't have you the got seven or ten. Seven? So I whooped you. Good. I whooped you. You certainly did. Go team. I have to think that it was me... Being really maybe, yeah, maybe what we them. should do maybe what we should do is we should do a combined score so for instance Luch already has four points but now he adds a seven and he's at eleven. Oh, that's good because you are then not going to slow down yeah. yes that's exactly good. so oh. I, I already start with a very backward four <laughs> boom boom so I'm winning great right good alright next round Want to contact us online? Visit us at 3thenumber3mentalist.com. Again, that's 3thenumber3mentalist.com. Want to be real clear here. It's the number 3, not typing out 3thenumber3mentalist.com. 
Uh, or maybe experiment. I don't know. See where you end up. Uh, you'll probably, if you're anything like me, you'll get online and you'll end up somewhere completely different, filling out a survey, wondering how on earth you got here. Kennedy, Kennedy apparently can't breathe back there. With <laughs> Look, 3mentalist.com, that's where to reach us. Uh, apparently we have a Twitter handle, but I'm not really great at understanding Twitter. I think it's at 3mentalists. Just at 3mentalists. Yeah. At 3, the number 3, mentalists. Not any better than that, are we? Performance craft is one of the things that I'm really passionate about. It's not just about the tricks. It's not just about which nail writer you use and which trick you're going to do. But it's all the bits that are in between. For me, it's, well, that's the biggest study that I have in terms of my learning curve. And it's all the, all the performance craft, basically. It's the, how do you approach a group. And that's the thing I want to ask, ask Luch about in a few seconds' time. Is, is you know, How do you approach a group and how do you do those things? And it's, it's all these small elements which actually become really big things that are, I think are really, really important. You know, there are a lot of guys on the cafe who have written great ebooks that deal exactly with this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, think can, I think we can just forsake this segment and just go straight into another segment. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, no, I'm just kidding. One of the things that I think is important is, look, when you approach a group, you have to instantly establish rapport. You can't do that if you don't know names and if you can't remember names. One of the most important things before you ever get to the trip, before you ever get to what you're up to, is looking at someone and figuring out their name, finding out what their name is, locking it away in your memory so that you can, again, build rapport by saying, that's right, Ken, or you know Ken, something interesting, or, or you know Luch, this is funny, or, or uh, you know who will like this? Hello. Harvey. Yeah, Harvey. <laughs> Harvey, <laughs> so, Harvey loves it. I think it's so important to being able to be successful and essentially uh, establish the type of relationship where they want your card at the end of the night because they felt as though you valued them. Okay. So, okay. so do you have any techniques for doing that? Because a lot of people say, oh, I'm really bad with names. I find it really difficult to remember people's names. What do you, what, how do you do that? Because you've got a really good memory. We know that you have these massive progressive anagrams in your head and you call some of them logic puzzles or whatever you might call them. Um, you, but you, you, you have a really a great ability to remember stuff. How do you do that? Honestly, it's, it's not very difficult. Have a soul. Be a real human being and take a genuine interest. If you take a minute and talk to someone and, and don't remember their name, mm-hmm. it telegraphs to them instantly that you're not really interested in them. And that means that you're a fraud and you're a fake. Ken, you mentioned earlier, it's so important to be perceived as real. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be perceived as someone who's real if you can't take a moment and remember someone's name. Now, if there's a group of 10 people, I'm not saying that you go around the table and try and memorize everyone's name at the start. Pick two or three people and learn them bit by bit and move it from your short-term memory to your long-term memory by saying their name, by interacting with them and and, and genuinely create a rapport with those people. The other thing that I think is really important is when you approach any kind of group, you got to go in as though you're already friends, as though you're friends that haven't seen each other for a long time. That's quite difficult because when I address my friends, I probably wouldn't address, you know, I probably wouldn't address strangers. Like, you know, the first time I met you. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> okay so you go in as if you're already friends and you go in there and you introduce yourself and you and you start to learn their names and so how do you what's your i mean you're really good at the rapport building thing so apart from names what else do you do well, you ask questions about themselves there's nothing that builds rapport better than asking a series of questions eventually you'll find common ground okay. you'll be able to relate with someone uh i i used to work with a bunch of proper men. 
Uh, I don't consider myself a proper man. I think we are proper men. I think so. I think you're currently working with some very proper men. No, I, I've met proper men. They don't look anything like you guys. They have they have skill sets in the real world. Um, <laughs> but these proper men, you, you, you learn to become a social chameleon. Uh, and I think it's very important that you find different topics that you can hold a conversation with people about. If that means sports, if it means politics, if it means history, if it means uh, movies, comics, whatever it is, find find common ground and then you can really move forward. And I'm not saying eat up your whole set by finding common ground, but you should be able to look at someone, read them quite quickly and say, oh, you know, they're probably going to like this or that or the other. Um, for instance, if I, if I did a gig in the States and there was a guy that had cowboy boots on and a belt buckle, I could talk to him about country music. Okay. It, it, it's that sort of a thing. And that's the principle I'm trying to, to suggest. You're going to so you walk over and go, yeah, how are you doing? No, you, you don't, you don't do that. You would, no. you would say hello. That's what I would do. You'd establish some rapport and say, "Now I'm a mind reader. One of the things I'm getting from you is you probably like country music. Let me let me ask: Are you uh, a fan of Shania Twain? Are you a fan of Dolly Parton? Yeah, wh- whatever you want to do. You can you can then begin to talk to them mm-hmm. and pepper that conversation with their name. You'll remember it. They'll like you. You took a genuine interest, and then you show them what you could do. Okay, okay, that's great. Luch, one of the things that I've always been terrified about is, is approaching a group. And I know when you're doing close-up, you have to rebuild that rapport over and over and over again. And I find that extremely exhausting. It's probably the number one reason I don't do close-up. What's your sort of approach? How You've got a small group of people, and they're all standing around talking, enjoying each other's company, and suddenly you're going to go interrupt them. Yeah. But you're going to get between their friendship, their good time, their food, and you're going to show them mind-reading tricks. How do you... Well, well the, the first thing is I, I never perform when people are eating. Oh, that's good. Um, it's just when you put yourself in that position, you're eating. You, the last thing you want is someone to come up to you, interrupt you. And let um, the food get cold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's one of the rules that I, I tend to stick to. Uh, and I, I talk to bookers about this as well and agents. And, and, you know, they'll say, we want you to go around the tables while they're eating. And I'll say, you know, people don't want that. You know, unless, you, unless this is something that the client has specifically requested, then I tend to avoid it. Um, because you, you sort of have to work the tables between courses. Yeah, and you work with the service staff, ask the caterers and the service which side they're going to be serving from, and you work the opposite side. That's interesting. Okay. And how do you approach? You've got a cold group <coughs> there. You've, they don't know who you are. Yep. Because you're not a big, you know, not, you're not famous. You're exactly. Not like a People don't know me from Adam unless they've seen me perform before. So essentially, I go in, a uh, big smile on the face, and I let them finish their conversation I don't just come in and say excuse me I will stand there let them see that I'm stood there with a smile on my face usually it takes a few seconds they'll stop I don't believe it. you have a smile on your it's, face it's the only time <laughs> there was apart from that and when I get paid mm-hmm. but obviously that's usually via um, sort of bank transfers anyway but I'm smiling <laughs> when I'm keeping an eye on my funds mm-hmm. but I will smile when I, when I, when I go in okay. uh, they, it will break their uh, conversation and they'll look over uh, and then I'll say do you mind if I join you for a few moments mm. and then they look at each other and I'll say, I am supposed to be here. You know, I'm not trying to sell double glazing or anything like that. It breaks the ice. It gets just a daft little joke. Yep. By that point, I'm in. Okay? And then I say, good evening. My name is Looch. Um, I'm one of the entertainers for tonight. Have you heard that there might be an entertainer on? And either yes or no. Some people say, oh, you're the mind reader or you're the magician. You're the so-and-so. And then you, you can get in that way. If not, then I'll say, okay, so I was hired. I was brought in by. And I'll name one of the, the figureheads who was the... Um, the sort of planner for the event who everyone yeah. knows uh, and said so because of what she saw me do or what he saw me do a few months back let me show you and then I'll go straight into a routine so you, you kind of build that kudos 
by name dropping specifically somebody who they already respect. It and gives a, legis- a legitimacy yeah. to, to why I'm to there. what you're doing. Yeah. You have to remember too that you're not just going in cold. You are there to make their night, while already good, extremely better. Again, when we talk about the sort of power of the things that we can do, yeah. we know we're about to give them if we're good at what we're doing an incredible memory that they'll mm-hmm. cherish for a long time. Now, interestingly, you said that you don't do any close-up work. Um, one of the things that I feel like is a benefit of close-up work is the very important ability to be instantly likable. If you're going in close-up, there's, it, it trains you to be someone who instantly, the second that guy you know, sets foot on stage or things like that, it, it, it's a skill that transfers. Being instantly likable is important to keeping your crowd and your audience. If you've not, if you've not built it up through close-up work, how have you, how have you done it? Uh, my thing is, obviously, mo- most, in fact, all of my work is stand-up. Even if it's a small group, I do one show. I don't then stop and then go and approach another group and do it again. I do one show. And I, how do I do it? And so the, your question is, what, how do I build rapport with them? Yeah, I just feel like people that have said... I've met I've met some some people that say oh I've never done anything close up. Um, I think for some of them they're fine like you. Uh, for some of them it puts them behind the eight ball because they haven't learned how to crash any social situation and come out being really instantly liked and likable mm. and relatable. Um, and so I think for for some people it keeps. It's almost a barrier between them and their audience because they've never cut their teeth in this way and so they've never learned how to. I agree. I think the thing I found hardest for longest was how to get the audience to be on my side and how how to get them to really like me and and really care about me because if you can... I used to always, and I don't know, but I used to always close my routine, my show on a a risk routine. I was one of the youngest people ever, I think maybe still the young person ever, to play Russian roulette with live revolvers. And the problem with that is the audience have to like you at that point. Otherwise... Well, they're kind of hoping that you aren't going to blow your head off because you're a yeah. cheeky little shit. Like, we've got um, a one in six chance. <laughs> we've got a one in six chance of having a really good night. Um, so, or, or if you're doing it with staple guns or you're doing a smash and stab or a nail or, or a knife or whatever it is, you've got to have that level of rapport. And the way I do it is I, I do it by having this character which starts off kind of impenetrable, but I allow them to see the cracks in the character where they think, actually, he's just really in control of this situation, but he's a really nice guy. And so I'll do things where I'll go from standing with my shoulders back and, and, and doing the whole stage persona thing, and then the next minute my shoulders drop down and I put my arm around a woman while she makes me laugh, and I allow myself to corpse on stage and laugh because that allows them to see some human elements of my but personality. Even, even, even some of the terms that you've used, I, I think it's very interesting about you is that your background, for anyone who doesn't know, it actually is theatre. Yeah, yeah. That, my, my whole training, my formal training, my degree and everything was in, was in theatre. And so that's all around how, where you stand, how you stand, how you use your voice and what that... It's about an absolute consciousness of everything you say and do. Your physical and your every bit of communication you give to an audience. And so if you look at how you can build small little cracks in the character that allow them to see things, see through the... Humanity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that sort of human element. That's the, a this real. What person. Ken Weber talks about in, in Maximum Entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. About yeah. you have to communicate your humanity in your performance, or you don't come across as genuine. That's absolutely. And one of the things that you spoke about earlier in, in, with Atlas is how we uh, finds it important to to remember your names. Well, yeah. I make a joke out of it because I, it's one of my weaknesses. I always struggle to remember names. Okay. So I become the mind reader who can read minds but not remember names. 
Okay. And it becomes an ongoing thing with some of the... But you've addressed it. Exactly. I'll say, you know, um, I'll get your names and I'll say, you know, I, I might be able to read your minds, but I'm rubbish with names. So later on, then I'll go to ask the names again and forget. And it's not because um, I'm being rude. It's because I'm showing an interest, but for whatever reason, this mind reader can't remember names. So it becomes like an ongoing thing. Now, I'm not saying that's every time, but it's defined that I've, I've But it could be, it could be also defined that you're using so much of your <laughs> brain to read their minds. You forget. That your memory is, is, is having to dump some information. Yeah. But the point is, he's addressing, within the yes, context of the show, address he's addressing a perceived weakness. Uh, I, I did a show where a guy came in late and I asked him his name. You know, mm. I saw him come in, I said, what's your name? And he says, you're the mind reader, you tell me. And I had two routes that I could go down. One was I could look at him and say, right, okay, look at me. Name that can be shortened. I think, in fact, this is quite short. Something about you is quite short. Uh, I wanted to say Richard, but I'm going to go with Dick. Doesn't he look like a dick to you, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, and, and I could have handled it that way. Yep, got the laugh. Um, yep. And got the laugh. But instead, I, uh, I, I, I kind of highlighted my inferiority on stage, my inability. And then uh, I kept coming back to it. I made it a point that I addressed in the show. It became something that I returned to again and again and again. Gosh, I hope this works. I really need Tim back there to like me. You know, he's a proper man. I, and, and, and it became something that was so very funny that at the end of the show, he actually came and got a card off me. He enjoyed himself so much. There are right ways to handle things. There are wrong ways to handle things. But I don't think, and I'm not saying that was the best way, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying you have to address things within your show. Um, it, but you it, have it to address everything. Every response we give, where in live entertainment, we can't just stick with the script. You have to have something to start with, but you have to be able to deviate and improvise from that. And the thing is, you have to absolutely respond every single time in a way that is consistent to your character. Yes, exactly. You can't suddenly jump out of character and give a line that you heard a comedian say, you know, on, on late night television, if it doesn't fit your will, nice, happy character. It will be hollow, it will ring untrue. And it and and it will be jarring to take the whole audience out of that trance that you've built up and that relationship you've built up with them. It has to absolutely. be consistent. And consistency is the, is the most important thing in all of this stuff. Because if they haven't got consistency, you, you do lose them because they need to feel safe in your hands as a performer. Yeah, it's impossible to suspend disbelief if you're constantly jarring. Yeah. It's, it's almost like watching a movie with someone who presses pause all the time and yeah. goes and gets treats. Or wines, or, 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 I missed that bit. You know, or or ask questions throughout. It, it, ruins the, it ruins the illusion that is being created by the film. It does, it does. The Cafe Thread to Watch. What we have here is a game that we've sort of made up uh, called The Cafe Thread to Watch. Now, here's the premise. is. Each time we do this podcast, you have to come armed with the thread from the cafe that has amused you or entertained you or that you really particularly like, something like that. Uh, I personally have a thread in mind. Now, I know, Kennedy, you don't. So what we've decided as a forfeit is okay. that you have to resurrect a really, really old thread on the cafe and just write <laughs> any reviews, double question mark. And then, and then next time we do this podcast, we will read, we'll read all the people... <laughs> Ripping you to shreds for <laughs> resurrecting this, this, this uh, thread. Okay. Okay, so okay. My, I'm going to choose let me, one. Let me, yeah, before you do, let me explain what my favorite is. There's a thread right now in Latest and Greatest called Tost, T-O-S-T. Um, and I really like this thread because the original poster, who I believe is the author, he did something like eight in a row. And I mentioned this to you, uh, and I was really, really excited to see how this was going. Mm -hmm. So he's like, a post, and then a post, and a post. And it just is, you know, thread bumps with updates and things. Um, and I was really hoping he would get to 15. <laughs> <laughs> Unanswered, I wanted, I wanted the OP to get 15 straight away. But uh, Mark Chandow, 
um, actually killed that streak. So that, up until just a moment ago, was my favourite thread on the cafe. Your favourite thread on the cafe. Do you have one, Luge? Uh, yeah, I do. It's a bit biased, though. It's, uh, is it the seven reasons I love Looch thread? It is, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's the uh, it's I don't the think thread. that thread exists. I don't think there are seven <laughs> by the, reasons. By, by, the, maybe. by the time this podcast comes out, that thread really says. Maybe that should be your forfeit. You have to pay me that <laughs> And give seven legitimate reasons. Uh, so yeah, my favourite one well, of them... He's moment. even added a qualifier there, in legitimate. Yeah, Legit. you can't just fake it like you, like you have been doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> reason number one, his hair. His hair. Reason number Blue two, steel. his rugged good looks. <laughs> <laughs> reason number three, the way he holds me. <laughs> Afterwards and before. So yeah, to answer your question, yes, the thread that I've been keeping an eye on is the one in Penny, which is essentially um, the thread that initially started out as... A uh, an advertising thread to let people know that I was going to go over to Penguin to do a second live lecture. Uh, but it's now taking on a, a direction of its own because there is a riddle challenge. Now, a riddle okay. challenge is something that Atlas set up when he was first promoting... Uh, was he, what was the promotion for, the first one? It was something that didn't end up happening because of the EU Vatlar changes. Okay, but you, you set up a riddle and it was going to be a prize for whoever yeah. could work it out. So uh, we've taken that idea and we've applied it to the Black Project, Mm -hmm. which, uh, as everyone knows, is going to be my uh, big work that comes out this year. Does that add 600 pages now? 600 pages, yeah. Two volumes. Yeah, it's huge. Um, And essentially, whoever works out this riddle challenge, there'll be a series of challenges, but it'll be in three stages. Uh, And we've just completed the first stage, I believe. We have a leaderboard going on on that thread to keep people up to date who's, who's doing well. Just one book given away. Though, I mean, oh, yeah, just one copy of it. Yeah, yeah God. It's costing enough money to put it out. <laughs> throwing in book copies for everyone. But essentially, whoever whoever manages to successfully work out the three parts in the quickest time will win a free copy of The Black Project. Uh, and that's over at Penny for your thoughts on the cafe. That's your favourite thread. So, okay, while you've been talking, I've gone through and, and found a really old thread. Found your forfeit thread? Yeah, so <laughs> by the time you're listening to this, you'll be wondering... Why some idiot <laughs> who calls themselves a professional mentalist has asked such a stupid question. So I've chosen this one from October 28th, 2001. <laughs> the last comment on it was on April 7th, 2002. And it was posted by uh, Martino from Manchester. So thanks, Martino. You're about to have a lovely day. Um, and it's uh, Contact Mind Reading. Is the name of the thread. It's in Penny, and you'll, you'll be able to find it because it's the one which I'm getting abused on uh, between, uh, between now and then. <laughs> and this is obviously us telling you why it's happening. So what have I got to type? I've got to type any updates or any reviews. Question mark. <laughs> and, which is brilliant which is because having glanced at the thread, this is not a product it's not. That's, that's available for purchase or anything. No, it's, not. it's just a general question about contact mind reading. And my friend Ian Rowland's even commented on it, and Tom Cutts is there. They're all there. Look, and Lee Morelli, he's there. They're all having a good time. And even Steve Brooks has gone Steve in on it. Brooks. Stephen yeah. Brooks is on it. It's on it. Oh, hi, Steve. You like Steve? He's a lovely, lovely chap. So there we go. Even Ford. Ford's on there. Ford's passed away. Has he? Yeah, oh. Ford passed away. That's it. So um, yeah. he won't see the update. Yeah, he won't see the yeah. update. He won't get our humour here, but he'll, he'll appreciate it in the afterlife. So uh, any reviews? That's what I'm going to post. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. I think two question marks is, is uh, essential. Yeah, it shows that you're a little bit more desperate. <laughs> 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 oh, no. All right. I'm going to press submit reply and... No take backs, no backsies. Oh, look at that. 
<laughs> Straight to hell. <laughs> your, Straight your picture there is perfect for this as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it's a little bit confused and disapproving. Slightly time. angry, yes. Yeah, this is going to be great for next. So next month, you'll definitely <coughs> have gonna, a new favorite thread. I bet <laughs> it will be this one. I bet it will be this. And this, if this takes off and produces another amazing mentalist, uh, that will be amazing. So, uh, thanks, guys. Yeah, great segment. Mentalism that should be banned. Right. So, Kennedy, let me ask you a question. You can't love every mentalism plot. Not everything works with uh, with every personality or mm-hmm. with every persona. Let me just ask you, what plot in mentalism would you erase from history if you could? Uh, for instance, me, I hate pseudo-psychometry. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think it is boring. I think it is stupid. I can't say enough bad things about it. Yeah. Um, I, just, I just think it's the worst plot ever. What would I would I would delete it from history? You would delete it. It would just never have never have happened. Yeah, I just think it's incredibly boring. Um, what would mine be? Uh, I wish I thought about this. I think mine would be something. I don't know. I, I'm going to need a couple of seconds to think about that. Do you have one, Luke? Handy in your head? Do you have a, oh, a god yeah. of mentalism that you hate? Pet heat of mine. It is as dull as dishwater. What's that? Seven keys to ball paint. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, like I would it. rather take those seven keys and just throw them out of a window. It really? is boring. The only time, I think, in fact, out of everything I've ever seen, the only one that was remotely, and I mean not fully entertaining, but remotely entertaining, was John Archer's version with the, uh, what was that lock called? And it was a little box when he did the sound reading. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Music. That was really good. That, that, was, yeah. that was semi-funny commercial kind of presentation of it, but God, it is boring. Because it almost um, preempts what the outcome's going to be. Yeah. You know where it's going. Oh, here we go. Fall asleep, wait mute when it's done. Seven key to ball pay. I, I agree with you there. It's, it's like a bad lottery. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, I'm not, I've tried so many different ways of doing this, but in general, I'm not a, a fan of the basic sort of uh, bank night thing, where it's like, I hate it when, when the, sort of the volunteer loses. I hate it when, actually, I hate it when the performer set it up like, I'm going to win this thing, and you're going to try and win, and I'm obviously going to win, so hey, what's the point in this? I really hate that, because there's no point in the routine at all, because you're setting up that we're going to go through this long, laborious process, and we're going to go, do you want to switch? Do you really want to switch? And all that sort of stuff, which is generally presented so badly and so illegitimately that no one believes there's really any chance of anybody winning anyway, and then the performer ends up looking like a tool at the end of it. Because you said, I'm going to win all this money and you're going to end up with nothing. And then what happens at the end? Uh, the performer wins all the money and you end up looking at two. Right. So I hate pseudo-psychometry. You hate bank night, which, I happen, which I happen to love mm-hmm. because of the way I perform it. Uh, yeah, I, mean, and Luke I hates have some solutions for it. Yeah, yeah, I'm obviously. The standard, the standard, I'm talking about the standard presentation. Oh, the standard presentation is riddled with holes. Yes. Um, and, and problems. Yeah. Uh, Luch hates seven keys. I'm totally on board with that. And uh, I hate pseudo-circumference. I just think there's something so boring about, take an object of yours, put it in an envelope, let me tell you about yourself. Well, yeah. I already know about me. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Can I just have my stuff back? Do you know what else I don't like? Is I don't like it when I say people like, uh, they'll, they'll riffle force a card or riffle and they'll peek a card and then they go, think about the card. And there's this awful, sort of very direct sort of revelation of what that card is. I think that's just like there's no theatre in that. Mm. You pick a card and you reveal the card in some long, boring way. When, and most of the time, they just think you already know what the card is anyway, so bloody get on with it. 
And that's very interesting because uh, one of the things Lutz did in his Penguin lecture was talked about mentalism with marked cards. Mm-hmm. And I um, and this is addressed, I think, in the Black Project as well. And it was one of these things where, for me, a light switched on. His presentation is amazing. It's second yeah. down. I agree with you. Yeah. There is there is a big difference between riffling through a cards, uh, having someone select one, and then telling them what it is fairly directly. You're right. There needs to be the theater. And Luch's theater... Is excellent. I mean, it, it, it is. It's got to have structures. It's got to be thought through. It hasn't. It can't be something you just make up on your own. What do you think about living and dead tests? I think they're dead. Yes. Yeah. Were they ever alive? Was it ever okay to go? Let's find the dead name, as, mm. as Cassidy calls it. You know what I hate is also is the pulse stop. Yeah, I think I think I've also, I, I think Darren Brown did a fantastic version of that because it wasn't the effect. It, he put a bag over his head, and the reason he couldn't feel pain with one of his effects is because he was suffocating himself, and he stopped his pulse. But the effect was that he was walking on glass, and he couldn't feel pain. Yes, yeah, so it was, was the sort of journey towards yeah. that. Yeah, because otherwise there is no effect, is there really? No. But you pretty much said you took it out of context. It's, it's to do it just as a pulse stop it's with not, no that, further thing. Mm. What about magic squares? I really don't like, don't like those either. Usually, done to those, death. Done to death. But I, you, I, you've you got a great magic square in Baron, and that's. And but this is. I think this is what's interesting about this is. I would have written off the same that you would have with with cards, mm-hmm. but I saw Lucia's performance and his presentation yeah. uh, with you in the magic square that you have in Baron. I think it's ingenious. Yeah. Um, and there was uh, there was something else that uh, I had typically written off that has literally just. Drop out of your head. Yeah, dropped out of my head. I think about the bank night. I think we're talking about can be very. Let me just finish off about. Let me finish off about Magic Square because every time I get onto a cruise ship to do a cruise ship show, they find out I'm a mentalist. I I remembered, sir. And and the stage manager will call me up and say, "Hi, Kennedy, you're a mind reader. You're a mentalist." I'll say, "Yes." He says, "Okay, you'll need a flip chart then, so you can do the the thing with the numbers in the grid." Ah, I see. I've heard a story like this, and I'm like, "What?" No, I'm, and that, and from then on, I've immediately stopped doing that because every mentalist I know, yes. yeah, some of them do it fantastically. Yeah, you told, you told me about this with uh, Sneak Thief. Yeah, an agent. Sneak said, Thief's the same thing. Oh, you're one of those, you what does that with the five people on stage with the drawings and you give it back to... And once it's got to the point where it's the that much of a formula yeah. of, oh, you're a mentalist, therefore you must be but, doing this. But, but look, at, look at part of why, because they said specifically, we don't want that. And part of the, part of the reason why is it goes back to a pseudo-secometry theme. You, instead of a personal object, you've now taken a drawing. Mm. And, and people yeah. find that boring. The thing I was going to say that uh, I found really dull and uninteresting was, uh, Luch, you were telling me about, um, about this with the, with the, the loss of strength effects. And the oh, lifts and things like that. Yeah. The Georgia Magnet. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I had never never really been interested. Um, and then... It's the framing. Yeah. You change the framing, you've got an absolute visual oh, miracle. miracle. It's so physical. I mean, because you can... The amount of control you're having over somebody is then apparently incredible. Well, I did a, I did a corporate event in December for Debenhams. Mm-hmm. And it was a fancy dress event. And I didn't realise until I got there. And I saw Cindy Lauper walking Madonna. And I was <laughs> like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Superman walks in. And then just a range of other people. But I thought to myself, what great way to do this Georgia Magnet thing where I'm apparently taking the strength of someone... But take the strength of Superman yes. and use it with a really small, and then make like, like Cindy Lauper, Cindy Lauper exactly. classy or something. So it gave it context, it made it funny, and gave it a visual <laughs> yeah. element. We say mentalism is not visual; it can be if you use these kind of. Yes. Well, and, 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 the, and the very, them. the very nice thing that you got out of that was a great picture of, of that group. I remember seeing it on Facebook. They were, they all 
Do you know what I mean? It, it really sold. Well, imagine the this. Idea imagine, that you you had take, abilities. imagine you take this idea. This is an idea, and you can you can take and do this with, with what you will. And maybe it's a terrible idea. But imagine you do something like I have an effect called Mr. Golden Balls, where it's basically a bit like uh, Kuritsuke, where one person's holding a, a ball that you're trying to identify, the other 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 people are, are holding balls you don't care about. And before they get the balls, you lift, try and lift each one of them up, or you try and move one of their arms. But then the one person who has the guilty ball, you can't lift up anymore because they're guilt... You know, it, them down. It, it could be that the, the Georgia Magic type <coughs> stuff could be the demonstration of how that makes somebody feel. It doesn't have to be the effect. No. But it could A be the finale. Is, it could be... Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So, have uh, we decided here that there are no effects that we should banish? We should just work harder? I think, yeah. I don't think there's anything that I think is terrible because I had a massive issue with the magic issue with the magic craft for ages because I was like, when do I stop talking? Like, I have a real difficulty with stopping talking and I need to have something at the end which, one, tells the audience that there is an end to this effect but two, doesn't contradict. Like, if you just... I, I once saw somebody, I'll not mention their name because they're a very big name in magic, but they, they have a thing where they do the whole magic square and then they just predict the number that was called out. Well... That ruins the effect because yeah. that means you can only do that trick with that number. Therefore, what was the point in that whole process? That 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 was out the window. So you have to find ways that are meaningful and don't contradict things and and those things. Yeah, but are there any effects that I wouldn't do? Well, I suppose technically, you should be able to take anything, any premise, reframe it and make it entertaining. Yeah, but I want to issue a challenge. Okay, I want to issue a challenge to one of the listeners out there. Make seven keys to ball pay. Interesting. Okay. I don't think it can be done. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I will. I'm going to come to your challenge as well. I want to see if somebody else has another idea, but I've got an idea in my head right now. And I want, by the time the next podcast, so in between now and the next podcast, I want you to write in or contact us in any way you can. We're on Twitter at Three Mentalists. We are on Facebook again at Three Mentalists, or you can go onto the uh, Three Mentalists website uh, and just give us an interesting presentation. For seven keys to ball pay, we'll discuss it. You'll get a credit about it, and we can talk about how you can reframe things to make it interesting. I don't think that specific effect can be made entertaining. Prove me wrong. Okay, okay, interesting. Some ch- a challenge for next uh, for the next time that we all meet. That's great. Be sure to follow us on 3mentalists.com or you can get online at Twitter and Facebook, search for 3 Mentalists, and that's the number 3, not the written word 3, 3 Mentalists. Uh, and you can send us questions, you can send us products for the Fight Your Corner part and segment. But be aware, we won't just be talking good things. If we don't like the stuff, we will say. So just be sure and be honest about your work. If you honestly think that you've got a good product that we can talk about and we can fight your corner with, then send it into 3mentalists.com uh, or follow us on Twitter and that is Facebook at Three Mentalists. The Virtual Prank. And now time for something a little bit different. You've heard of the Flash Mob. You've heard of the Chain Letter. But now we would like to introduce you to something very new and very special. The Virtual Prank. That was a hell of an intro. That was sultry. Well done. Right, so the virtual prank. Basically, the idea is it would be funny to get a lot of people in on a prank. Yeah. Because uh, who, who doesn't love a prank? So what we were thinking is we need something where everyone can sort of meet up. Oh, that means online. Uh, and if anyone online is friends with Jacob Michaels, he's a very friendly guy. I don't think 
he would mind this at all. In fact, it's going to be listening right yeah, now. Yeah, it's, it's going to be hilarious. He's going to be like, "Wait, what?" Uh, Jacob Michaels, a really nice guy. I think for the next month, what we'd like to do is anytime he posts a picture, tag your mother in the picture on Facebook. It's very easy to do. You just click on the picture. There's a tag option. Tag your own mother onto the uh, the, the Jacob picture. Michaels photo on Facebook. Anytime he post, anytime Jacob Michaels posts a photo. Yeah, anytime he posts a photo, just for a month, guys, just for a month. Let's, let's not make this go on in perpetuity. He will, <laughs> he will then uh, dislike it. But I think it would be very funny for Jacob Michaels, uh, the doorman of perception. I think is what he goes by. The bellboy. The bellboy of perception. I think it's the doorman. The um, the the taxi driver of destruction. Uh, maybe he'll change it. <laughs> anyway, uh, tag tag your mother in the, these pictures of Jacob Michaels. And uh, ideally, it would be hilarious because Jacob will post one picture and hopefully there will be 30, 40, 50, maybe uh, older women tagged in his pictures. <laughs> Jacob and his milfs. <laughs> there you go. First ever virtual prank. Desert Island Mentalism. Right. Okay. So here we are on the desert island mentalism section of this uh, podcast. What would what the desert island mentalism? <laughs> here we go. <laughs> no. In fact, let's, let's screw it. Let's keep going. The whole point of the desert island mentalism, um, or dim, as I'm now going to call it, <laughs> yeah. is uh, to take <laughs> is to take a single principle, not a book um, or, or a gimmick. So a single principle or a gimmick with you to a desert island, if you were relegated to just the choice of one. All the other options are off the table. What would you take with you and why? So, for instance, I would take a Swami gimmick. Okay. A uh, Swami gimmick, I can do a name, revelation. I could do place, revelation. I could do uh, even a drawing duplication where I ostensibly ask them to draw something. And here's my prediction. Uh, I could do change in pocket. There's so many things that you can do with a Swami gimmick. Um, so, I think that's what I would take. It's small. It's easy to pack. It's lightweight. I think I'd take a Swami gimmick. You take a Swami gimmick. I think I wouldn't take a Swami gimmick. I don't love them. I, I get along with them quite well. I've done some, and I always, in fact, in my show, I currently use something with them, but I, I don't love them. Like, I'm always a bit afraid of them. I'm like, I feel like there's a lot of trust issues I've got with I, my I, life. I, I, I agree with you to an extent. See, I, I don't love them either. However, I think if there was something that I would also learn to master because it was the only thing I had, that would be it. A, would yeah, it would be a Swami gimmick. There was, I think that's I, a good prop to learn to master, isn't it? Like some kind of secret writing, even you know, Swami yeah, gimmick. You know, or, even uh, there's a guy I don't know where he's at, but it, it, it's it doesn't even pretend to be a magician. He doesn't even do any magic. He just guesses your age. Yeah, I've seen them at the carnivals and the fairs. Yeah, 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 There's, yeah, there's yeah. loads. There's loads of different ways to entertain with just a little stub of pencil. Yeah, awesome. and I remember, I remember seeing actually this guy doing exactly this. We're at the, uh, the there's a, a really huge fun fair called the Hoppings in Newcastle. I think it's still the largest fun fair in the world, and a guy does it. But the way they do it is really clever. Is he'll really win by getting all your friends' names wrong, all your friends' ages wrong, and they really win. And then he, he uses the gimmickry. Very, so very. There's clever. an element of the con too. Yeah, it, yeah, well. absolutely. That's really interesting. I think I would take. I, I, before, before you do that, mm. what swarmy gimmick would you take? Is there a specific one that you like? I, I like the sand below. I see. That's your problem. It's the same colour as sand, and you would just drop it and lose it. Then you. Yeah, in the desert. Well, I'm not going to have to censor <laughs> that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> just say sand below. Sand. Sandalal. Sandalal. 
So what about yours? What would you take? I would take... I, I'm really obsessed with adder number. I think I've closed most of my shows on some kind of switch at the end where I get things collected all the way through. I've done it with letters. I've done it with numbers. So I would take some kind... I love... I'm, I'm still in love, absolutely in love with the Kozarp ad, and they're getting increasingly difficult to get a hold of now, yeah. apparently. And I didn't realise this until recently. I needed some refills. I was like, what? So I had to go to my <coughs> printer and get some... Oh, anyway. Stress of being a mentalist, having to get printer custom cut. But don't, uh, you, don't you think that in and of itself gives you a limited... Lifespan of this gimmick on a desert island? Uh, no, because you say you know, I've got the gimmick. It doesn't say I have to just have and have no refills. I, that's the only thing I'm allowed to do is, is do that switching pattern. And what's great about it is what's nice about the Swami gimmick is you can do lots of different things. Mm. I don't do. I don't want to do lots of mediocre things. I want to do one thing that really hits them hard and that's going to really blow their mind. I think thanks, you can do thanks that. first of all for dis- dismissing what I could do with the Swami gimmick. Well, as <laughs> mediocre. <laughs> Secondly, I think it's cheating because. You can start also fires with your, with your, yeah. so you can keep yourself warmer. Yeah, and I bet if I were you, I'd probably eat it as well. <laughs> oh, no blow. Whoa, <laughs> finish it. <laughs> to be fair, there's not much I wouldn't eat. <laughs> I'm moving away on the couch from you now. Luch, what would you take? Would you take a Swami gimmick? Would you take an adder number pad? No, different? I would take an impression device. Would you? A good old-fashioned imp device. Which yeah. one would you say? Um, I quite like the Labco ones. I think that's fantastic, but then... I might have to keep plugging it in if I lose charge. Be no That's right, you could plug it into a palm tree. There you go. But then again, um, you know, I suppose you could cut your palm tree down and make your own paper for your own goes off. Oof. And what? And kind of what would you do with an impression device? So you've got obviously there's lots of lots. Of things, lots of, there's lots of things you can do. Well, you can pretty much emulate any mentalism routine with one. Just changing the framing of it. So as long as a thought is written down or drawn down in any any way, shape, or form, mm. you can pretty much emulate anything you want there. Any of the, any of the classics. I think we've got a special guest who uh, I want to ask his opinion as well. Uh, Ma- we've got we've got Michael uh, Michael Murray. We're going to ask him his his uh, his answer. What would you take on a desert island? Nagatili. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a, I think that's a really good idea. I never would have thought of that. I would have gone with something more classic, but that's a that's a really good idea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. no, the more I think about it, the more I see how wrong I was and you were, and uh, you were Luch. Michael's absolutely right. Yeah, I told you, P-fucker, but you fucking mustard. Couldn't have said it better myself, Michael. Cheers for that, Michael. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. That's great. You can pop yourself over there and have a lager. Good. All right, next section. What the hell are we doing next? Mentalism Taboo. And now, for the final round, we have Kennedy, who is going to be describing to Atlas. Have we got ready with a timer? We are indeed. Three, two, one, go. Uh, this is a, a book test, which involves involves like cities and stuff like that. Uh, John Archer's... No, no, no. P- predates that. From the guys who wrote uh, Stunners and the, and another one wrote Mind. They okay, so this is Larry Becker and Lee Earl's flashback? No, flashback. no, no, no. There's one about the cities. No idea. I've got it on my shelf. We, we've burned 27 seconds. Here. No <laughs> idea. Fine. It's double vision. You're rubbish at this game. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, this one is... Oh, my... Goodness me! I can't believe you've written this. Uh, so this is—I um, I can't do this. I can't, I can't me, describe eh? that. I can't describe <laughs> that. You could have just said the guy that went to prison. I told you. But no. <laughs> Let's not say his name now. We're going to get sued. Okay. The name of this game. Taboo. By the guy who wrote the book. Oh, Luke Germain. No. No. Who wrote the book? We're, we're he also did. Cons- 
By the way, Ken, I just want to point out here. <laughs> I'm not the you're not, oh, I'm the you, one. You and I are combined. Mine is a whopping four, which I'm pleased <laughs> what, with. Have we even got you're one? Stuck at seven. No, we didn't get one. Oh, no. You spent a lot of time laughing. <laughs> well done, Looch. Well played. Well you, done. you walked away. <laughs> Eleven. That's right. One point for Luke. Uh, no, Luke. Luch. Yeah. Luch. Luch. He is your father. <laughs> Underused mentalism principles. With all the principles at our disposal, we've got all these different me- clever methods and ways of of doing things. There are some which are really popular, and some of them that are kind of gone by the wayside, and that people are not using so much. Which would you say, Luch, are the sort of is your top underused principle of mentalism? I would say odor reading. Odor reading, giving an giving a reading based on someone's smell. Okay. Yeah. 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 I remember reading years ago that um, in the psychic fairs when people were doing palm reading, tower reading, thing, aura reading, mm-hmm. somebody went out and did knee reading. Yeah, where they would get ladies to sit there with skirts and they would look at their knees and give a reading based on knees. Mm-hmm. Well, can you imagine? No one else is doing that. Yeah. And regardless of the fact that he might have been a bit of a pervy reader, what would <laughs> yeah, to look yeah. at women's knees? But at the Use same time, he offered something different in the market. So there you go. I heard of something called um, odor reading by getting a, a sense of smell, the pheromones, things like that, and give a reading based on what they smell. No, I, I, I disagree. I think we're really, really missing a trick here with. Uh, Disguises. What? <laughs> I, I genuinely, I think mentalism with disguises has the you, capacity like, to surprise. Like, as in putting on a mask? I'm not going to tell you how to disguise it. I mean, I'm not going to give away some of my very best methods, but... Or pay 10 grand for a stylist. Yeah, no, so the bottom line else. is disguises. Disguises, false mustaches, big noses. Hats. Uh, hats, yes, hair, exactly. Tattoos. Um, those Don't drawn-on worry. eyebrows when you when you've scraped yours off and then you draw them on, yeah. so that uh, disguises. What's happening? Yeah, do you not? Like being able to take a, a pouting shot. No. Mentalism with disguises. Mentalism with disguises. It's the future. Disguisalism. Disguisalism. Yes. <laughs> Coins. That a real thing? What is now? <laughs> right. Let's try this segment one more time. With all of the different methods we've got at our disposal, there's obviously some that which are more prevalent and which, which are used a lot. For example, I use a lot of sort of switching and swapping information around. Which ones do we feel like are more underused sort of principles and methods? Ooh, under dual reality, dual reality, massively underused, underused. Yeah, yeah not enough people doing that. Yeah, that and the Dollinger ploy. Oh God, no one's doing that stuff, yeah. are they? The last time I heard about that was ooh, 1950s. I don't know, long yeah. time ago. Yeah, yeah. Back when Dunninger himself was... I think no one's ever really taken it and done anything with it since. No, no. What about you, Atlas? Uh, I would have to say stalking. Properly stalking people. Just, I think there's so much potential there. Mm. You could tell them all sorts of crazy stuff about their life. And they would never once doubt the veracity of your... You have two ducks in your bathtub. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. One of them... (laughs) Can't can't finish that thought. (laughs) It would freak you out, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can look at you. Just have one rubber duck in your bathroom. I do. And it's a large one. It is. It's the it size is. of your duck. It's not what you do with it. See, and how does that make you feel? No, what's, I'm frightened. Yeah. Well, there you go. Stalking is the way forward. I think. I think you're right. Yeah, I, I genuinely think properly bugging people. Um, 
What, why are you laughing? Listen, if you're not gonna, if you're not going to be think, serious about this bit, Ken, then you can't host it. I, I'm just wondering if, like, if we should be using more like deductive type techniques, like deduction. Is deductionism a word? Uh, uh, harassmentalism. Harassmentalism. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, what would it be for you? Genuinely, Rich? I would say that uh, an underused technique in mentalism would be uh, muscle reading, contact mind reading. Yeah. Um, I would love to learn more of it. It's very difficult to, to be able to practice with real people. Um, this is the thing, you grab somebody by the wrist, you have them think of a, of a, yeah, of a thing. Yeah, not just by the wrist, there's, there's several different techniques. I know Banachek has a fantastic book called uh, Psychophysiological Psycho- Thought Reading. That's the one, yeah. Um, there's different work on Helstonism, Satori has some work on his contact mind reading. Um, there's lots and lots of different uh, work. I remember I did a seminar in Cologne last year with Jan Becker, Oh, right. the, the German mentalist, and he taught some very, from very simple and interesting uh, variations to find out directions and things like that. Um, yeah, fantastic. Would love to learn more. You can duplicate my, pretty much any classic of mentalism using, using muscle that real technique. My yeah. concern is that they feel like that's what they're doing. So if I if I had Atlas think of one of the items on the table in front of us, and I just have to think of it. Does he not feel? Like he's just telling me where to, to think of. Like, but you take is the, it not transparent? Apparently you, you take the, the focus off what you're doing. Almost like you holding onto the hand is just you making a contact. You need to make contact with them in order to read their thoughts. So you can do this by putting your hand on the shoulder. You can you can even do this with holding like a, a cloth, like a, you know, like a, blind, um, a blindfold or something. A blindfold or maybe a handkerchief like or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. So yeah, the, 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 it's not the focus on the actual contact. It's getting them to focus on the directions of certain things. Uh, as you move back and forth, and you can pick up on slight resistance, mm-hmm. um, so which will then in turn tell you which way you need to be turning. I think it'd be a wonderful skill to learn. I think more mentalists should really look into the uh, the classics and, and begin to learn such a valuable technique in mentalism. Mm. Okay, do you have a genuine one? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I do. I um, I think multiple outs or mm-hmm. equivoc. I, I think uh, again, multiple you can't outs. have two because I'll have the other one. So which one do you want to have? Ooh, if it was a preference then, I think multiple outs. Okay. Because I think they can be done very, very cleverly. They can be done uh, very cunningly. They can be very surprising in nature depending on how you've arranged it. Uh, I, I just think people think it's too obvious and so they, they don't do it. Almost like what you were saying with Hellstromism where you say don't people – Just they, think they, that's they, Yeah, don't they twig. Uh, and I, I think that that often isn't the case. I think most of the time when we worry about methods, people are – just there to enjoy what's happening. Um, and as long as they're enjoying it, they, they don't necessarily try and pick it apart. I think the important thing with multiple outs is a bit like your work when you talk about all your branching anagram stuff and that similar stuff is often the multiple outs will scream, well, there are only five possibilities, so maybe he has all five possibilities hidden. Well, with a, with a, with a branching anagram, if there's only 12 possibilities and you're doing some kind of fishing... There needs to be a perceived much yeah, well, greater Luch, range of possibilities. Luch in um, in his Your Thoughts from Mind DVD has a great multiple out system. Okay. That's um, for and you use it in the case of a drawing duplication. It doesn't have to be just a choice of a number of items on the table. That's right. Yeah. Why, why why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just force that choice and give them a free? I mean, Phil Smith's Quinta is a great way absolutely to, to, to do that. I think with multiple outs, as long as uh, you're right, as long as the framing and contextual idea behind it is they could have chosen anything, Mm -hmm. then you can very much um, make it seem like an absolute miracle. But people don't, people, people don't think laterally with it. They think, Oh, here's the way it's been applied in the past. Therefore, this is the way it must be applied in the future. Whereas if you take a step back from it and think, well, how could I make this a bigger 
principle? How could I apply it more broadly and more interestingly? Okay. Uh, it does become truly impossible. Yes. I, I think that there are lots of things that um, I, I think a lot of principles are like this. People are used to um, a plot that they instantly recognize, or for instance, a chair test or a bank night or something like yeah. that. And they think this is the structure, this is the reveal, this is the way things go. And they don't take a method and actually see, am I squeezing the absolute most out of this method? And, and I think that I think that when we're talking about underused principles, I, I don't just mean that people don't use them often enough. I, I also think I mean that they don't really get what they could from them. From them, yeah, yeah absolutely. That they're, that they're not as efficient yeah. as they could be. Mm-hmm. So what about you, Ken? What uh, underused principle do you think? I, I think I really, I really like... Oh no! I, one of my favourite things to do is, is about collecting more information than, than than the audience believe that you're collecting. So, um, one of the things I'm a really big fan of is is to have somebody think of, for example, then I say, think of a name of a place, a location anywhere in the world. Then I'll hand them a card which will say on them, please write the name of any city in the world in the box below. They'll then write down the name of the city, and they're only writing down one piece of information. Then I pick that information, whichever way I fancy that time, whatever works the routine. And now I can reveal two things about that. What I'll do is I'll imply, using some doublespeak, that what they actually wrote down was the name of a country. So I'll say, okay, I want you to zoom out in your mind and see yourself standing in this place and see yourself zooming right up, right up, right up, and now see this whole country that you're thinking of. So if I've peaked Melbourne, I know... But that's going to be in Australia. So I'm going to imply to the audience that what the person wrote was was Australia. Right. So I'm going to write down on my board, Australia. Can you tell everybody which country you're imagining yourself standing in? They say Australia. I turn my pad around. Australia. Done. And then I say, what I want you to do now is zoom right in. Imagine yourself standing in a particular place in Australia, in a particular city. Yeah. And now I can reveal Melbourne. Without having to get them to write down both bits of information, I've been, I'm able to get two bits of information from one. So I think... The, the principle, I suppose, is how, how can we get people to write down very structured bits of information that we can absolutely determine more information from? So you're, what you're saying is milking the peak. Absolutely. But, and also but then reframing that. And then reframing yeah. what was written and what was peaked. Because, yeah, you can, there's another way of doing that, where you can have multiple questions on the piece of card, which you know, goes back to lots of different people who have done work with that, um, which we could talk about another time. But this is about how you want that information, because... The kind of peaks that I do are quite fast. I do quite, you know, tears and, and switches and stuff, rather than being able to really stare at a peak. So I need to be able to peak one bit of information and be able to get as much, like I say, milk that peak and get as much you information know, Luch, as possible. Luch is really good at this. This is something that I've long admired of, of him. I've seen him do a Q&A, and from the question alone that is asked, he then makes a whole series of statements which are also accurate. Okay, um, and, and, and you want to go into your thought process with well, that? I, th- what I was thinking of initially is when we talked about this is the FO routine, which is in the Black Project. Yeah. Um, and essentially, you, you know a specific piece of information without being written down. And from that, then you approach, you know that that is the end goal. That is the, if you're going to go A to Z, you know Z is the location. And you're going to go through A, B, C, D, and you're going to get hit after hit after hit. Oh. So uh, with this Melbourne thing, Obviously, you do the reveal in Australia, and then you can say, you know what? Let's go even further than that. So you're in this, you're in this country. Let's think of a specific place in this country that you've got in mind. Exactly. Knowing they're going to go to Melbourne. Now, if we Melbourne's not the best example, but let's say Sydney. That was the, that was the place that you'd peaked, and then say, so you're in this place. Have a look round. In fact, imagine that you could sit and you might have a meal, 
and you could be sat looking out onto a view and maybe there's a landmark. In fact, can you think of a landmark? Exactly. Something exactly. in this place. That's exactly. It. it becomes a drawing duplication. Yes. You've got another visual exactly. hit out of it. And it's about it taking it. And it's about using sometimes the piece you peaked as the centerpiece. So you might go, if you peaked Sydney, which I don't think is a good place to peak because if somebody thinks of Australia, mm-hmm. they always probably think you can probably guess Sydney. I'm just, from a, what you're saying, from yeah. a visual so landmark. Visual, visually, though, let's just go through that again. Yeah. So if you've peaked Sydney, you reveal Australia first, then you reveal Sydney, and then you might reveal the Opera House. No, I would do it the other way around. You would do it the other way around. I would do Australia, then I would, without naming the place, I would have them focus on the landmark. Okay. Because then you're picking it up, and they say, what is it? It's the Opera House. <laughs> oh, you're in Sydney. This is what I got. And then you've got okay, the visual so you, thing. Okay. okay, that's really interesting. Because yeah. Sydney th- then leads to the Opera House in an obvious way. In an obvious way. Whereas yeah. the Opera House, oh, you're in, you must be in Sydney, mm-hmm. which would make more sense yeah, to me. Yeah, that's really good. And, and you, could, you could even say, is there something you know, famous filmed there? Or you could go to yeah, an Whatever it is that pops into your head first, that likelihood is that's going to be in their head, isn't it? So can you think of, you know, if you peak... Um, if you peak London, you, you, what's the first thing that pops in your head? And you think, okay, there's, those are the things that I can probably, I can probably, I can probably get from this person. Yeah, it's an association from the peak. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's what I think is really interesting. Brilliant stuff. That was lovely. Hi, this is Atlas from Three Mentalist Podcast, and we'd like to say a very special thank you to Phil Smith at Sushi Design. Spend your money there. <laughs> Well, there we go. We made it to the very end of our very first Three Mentalist podcast, and I think we did it without without killing each other. No, no, nobody I, I think, died. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think it was. We had a hoot. We hope you fun. did as well. By the way, I I still dispute the. Uh... The, the whole the whole taboo game thing. Mm. I think I think I was set up from the start. <laughs> we were all doomed. I mean, I was terrible at that game. It was awful, absolutely terrible. So we have we're really excited by this podcast, and we know exactly what we're you know we're doing going forward. We're very excited about sharing all this information with you and sharing our experiences and our and our fun and laughter with you. But what we want to know is what is it you would like us to discuss we really do want you to be part of this journey as well so what is it you'd like to hear us discussing and of course if you have a product of your own that you'd like us to defend in the fight your corner section please get in touch with us as well there's a few ways you can get in touch with us you can contact us via twitter and that's at three mentalists and you can find three mentalists on facebook or you can go to three mentalist.com and remember as well to pop over to three mentalist.com and leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of our very first podcast as well so that brings us right at the very end uh, thanks very much guys and we'll see you in the next episode thank you for listening to the three mentalists walked into a podcast you can interact with us at three mentalists.com Ah, it's a beautiful moment.